High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 218 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I'm Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 218, that is what opponents hit against Giants pitching with two outs and the bases loaded. I bet you knew that. Wow, this season? This season, 218 with a 283 on base percentage. Uh, the Giants did okay with two outs and the bases loaded. Yeah, that is pretty good. I mean, I, I guess you could see that one of two ways. It's like, well, jolly for you. And on the other hand, ooh, could have been a lot worse. Uh, maybe it should have been a lot worse. It is funny when you go back and you review the season, it's like, okay, where did we get lucky? Where did we get really lucky? What is sustainable? What is, you know, maybe not sustainable, but still pretty good. And it's especially wild to do that now when we're coming to the close of a season where they're 80 and 80 with two games to play. And, you know, you'd be, okay, they're fine. They're league average. They basically are average in run score. They're average in runs allowed. But then when you're coming off a year where you won 107 with, with mostly the same team, except for Buster Posey, obviously. I know we keep comparing this year's team to last year's, but it's just when last year was so such a historical outlier. It is crazy to look at the things that are like, okay, these are the biggest outliers. These are the things that were kind of an outlier. And these are the things that they need to try to do again. It's fascinating, and it is, uh, while researching this, uh, I was going through all the splits of all the bases uh, loaded, bases empty, runner on second, and one, like, I, all those splits, the one constant throughout is when the other team, when the opponent had runners on second and third, the Giants were terrible. Nobody out second and third, terrible. One out second and third, terrible. Bases loaded uh, second and third, awful. And it makes me wonder, well, is that a fluke? Or is that some sort of organizational philosophy that can be attacked in the offseason where they're not using that open base as much as like Mike Kruko would want them to? I don't know. It's fasting. So that's sort of post-mortem. That's what I'm going to be getting into for the next month or so. That is interesting because, you know, you could, it sort of makes sense on the face of things because this is a a pitching staff that's told to throw strikes and walks are really bad in almost every circumstance. But I think back to someone like Ryan Vogelsong, who basically was like, I'm not going to give in. And if you're not going to swing at ball six, ball seven, ball eight, I'm just going to walk you. And I don't care if there's a base open, if it's first and second with one out, I'm just not going to give in. I felt like he got out of so many bases loaded jams because he made the pitches when he absolutely had to. And I don't know if that's the mentality of this pitching staff in general, because over the long haul, they're probably right. You're going to reduce less damage if you, you know, issue an extra walk in there, even if it's a strategic one. But yeah, it it does kind of make sense that they would struggle a bit with an open base where some other pitchers might, you know, dance a little bit more and, and try to get a hitter to chase. Ryan Vogelsong was instrumental to my baseball education because for the first, I don't know, couple months I was watching Ryan Vogelsong, I thought, ah, he doesn't have really good control. He doesn't have, and then I realized he has 
excellent control. He has great command. And when he's walking someone, there's probably a reason for it. Very rarely is he grumbling like, oh, I can't believe that that got away from me. He made me rethink how pitching worked, and he was important in my education. Yeah, it's just one of the big art forms of pitching is how you get people out when you don't have your best stuff or when you are you no longer possess your best stuff because you've gotten older. And that used to be a big part of things. You, know, you hear about, you know, like I like Frank Tanana as a hard thrower, but then he had just as successful a career because he learned how to pitch and learned how to get people out and not give in. And that is, I think, part of the lost art of pitching because now it's all about stuff, 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 stuff. We don't want you to go out there and eat innings. We'd rather have someone, you know, sprint and throw a bullpen game the days of the value of the 200 inning pitcher with the 4.38 ERA are pretty much gone. And it really is a different way to think about pitching, both in a macro sense and in a very micro sense to those situations that you're bringing up with like a base empty and, and, and maybe one out. Every so often I go back and I look at uh, Jim Palmer's baseball reference page because it's hilarious. He just was not a bat misser. He was a pitcher and he was a pitcher's pitcher and he was striking out guys like uh, like Kirk Reeder. He, and you don't think of that when you think Hall of Famer Jim Palmer. That's one of my favorite baseball reference pages because it makes you really reimagine what pitching was back in those days of the 70s, the 80s. It just it was pitch to contact. It was get guys out in their front foot and all that stuff where now it's just miss bats, miss bats. Bats, miss bats. Yeah, and then Nolan Ryan came around and was like, you know, guys, I kind of want to do things a different way. But Steve Carlton, I mean, that really ushered in the era of the strikeout being, uh, you know, valued you know, beyond uh, a regular out. And now, of course, if, if you don't strike people out, you know, Kevin Gossman, I think we mentioned this last time, he's, I think, fifth or sixth in the major leagues with most hits allowed per nine innings. I was shocked wow. to see that. But he's got like 202 strikeouts and like 27 walks. And he's second in the major leagues in FIP behind Carlos Rodon, at least as of when I looked a few days ago. And now I think the FIP is worth more than the ERA. Um, so it really is a different way of valuing pitchers, of, of using pitchers. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see, like, for example, if a Sandy Alcantara is a guy who's going to win the Cy Young unanimously. I mean, he should. I will vote for him. I, I, I will say that, even though I... I I should not say that since I do have a ballot, but I think it will be kind of unanimous or close to it. But maybe some people will vote for uh, Julio Urias or maybe Zach Gallen or maybe Max Fried or maybe Carlos Rodon just because of the FIP is so overwhelming. And I, I think that, you know, for me, I value an Alcantara because his rate stats are kind of right there with everybody else's, maybe except for the strikeouts with some of the league leaders like Burns and Rodon. But he's doing it over like 60 more innings, not like 10 or 15, but 60. So to me, that's what's really impressive is he's kind of doing the old school thing where he's pitching bulk innings, but he's also doing it at a super high rate. And that's it. He's just a almost a throwback. Yeah, I am a big believer in ad, in using innings pitch in my Cy Young preferences and, and opinions. Before we move on, I just wanted to say, just throw this out there. One of my prized possessions is that I own an original scouting report, Giants scouting report on Giants letterhead of Jim Palmer from 1963. Wow. Yeah, it's I, I just stumbled across it on eBay, and it's uh, uh, if he can hit as an outfielder, I expect this boy to be a good prospect. Is one of the uh, <laughs> <laughs> is one of the notes on this scouting report. So it, I don't know. I just had to mention that because I just look at it sometimes and go, Wow, I own this. It's kind of neat. Excellent physique. Could make a good underwear model someday. Perhaps. Per oh my God, those underwear ads. Oh, one time I, I photoshopped a picture of uh, Freddie Freeman's face on that underwear ad. That was my last job at SB Nation was I would do things like Photoshop Freddie Freeman's face on Jim Palmer's underwear clad body. They used to pay me for that. 
That was the last thing you did, and you left of your own volition. They did not fire you for that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, we're not here to talk about Freddie Freeman in his underwear or Jim Palmer in his underwear. Uh, <laughs> we are here to talk about, listen, the last time we talked, the Giants had a chance. They're officially eliminated, but they have a chance to get over 500, at least reach 500. I think that's a worthwhile goal. Uh, it's been a decent last month for the Giants, uh, contrary to expectations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they obviously had a weird game uh, here Monday. I'm in San Diego at Petco Park uh, on Tuesday here as we record this. And they fell back to 80 and 80, gave up seven runs in the <laughs> in the bottom of the eighth inning, and then somehow got the go-ahead run to the plate in the top of the ninth. And J.D. Davis missed a grand slam by about the length of a foot-long hot dog. So they're 80 and 80, and they need to win one more to get to 500, two more, and they'd have a winning season. And it's it's aesthetics at this point. They're obviously going to they're all going to get on the same flights in a couple days regardless. They're all going to you know be on the same golf courses in a couple days regardless. They're not going to be in the postseason. But, you know, I think it would make everyone feel a little bit better heading into next year. And, and beyond that, seeing some of the performances like Sean Jelly uh, Monday. I mean, five innings, eight strikeouts, struck out Juan Soto. You know, I, I think he's still a guy who's got to work on, you know, a few things and maybe isn't profiling as, you know, a top of the rotation guy. But, you know, as someone who who really could put some wind in his sails, that's a great way to end his season. And I guess I, I, I know we've segued out of this, but just to drag you back a little bit into the, the notion of, of pitching and, and, and how teams are using pitching, you know, if you had sort of thought about the concept of a Giants bullpen game in like June or July, you'd probably be like, you know, posing for an Edvard Munch painting. But <laughs> but but they've been really good. The bullpen games have worked. And, and, you know, I know we've talked about, well, why don't they just give Alex Wood's rotation spot to Sean Jelly? Why don't they, you know, maybe call up Tristan Beck or whatever? And they keep going with openers and bullpen games and bulk games. I don't know if it's necessarily the way that they're thinking about gives them the best chance to win. It probably does, but I don't know. It's, it's what do you make of the fact that the the bullpen games have been so successful? And is that a pretty big data point for you after watching the bullpen struggle and sort of resigning yourself to the notion that they're going to have to seriously overhaul this group in the offseason? This harkens back to a point that we make often on the roundtable where how do we phrase it? It is sometimes the best baseball in terms of winning is not the most aesthetically pleasing baseball to watch. And that's true throughout where, whether you're talking about the three true outcomes where it's strikeouts, walks, and home runs, that's not as exciting as uh, get them on, get them over, get them in. It's it's just different. And the, the path to being a successful baseball team might not be the prettiest path. And I think that's the case with the bullpen games. The bullpen has been pretty darn okay in September. Uh, they were really good in April, and then they've been uh, a Spinal Tap album review in the middle. And it's it, they are a, a strong bullpen to do a bullpen game with. I don't know. I just don't like watching it. I don't like watching all the platoons. I don't like watching bullpen games. It's not as exciting to me, even when Sean Jelly is mowing people down, and even when Shelby Miller might be pitching two innings with a, a lot of swings and misses. I don't like watching it, and that doesn't mean that the Giants should stop doing it to please me. I just I just don't like watching it. Yeah, I think you're hitting on something important here, because if the question is, you know, what do they need to do to sort of, I guess, enhance their bullpen, or, or you know, what are we seeing that makes them 
us think that, you know, some of the good things are already in motion. I mean, we're tending still to think about this. I think you and I are both thinking about this in the same way as more of a traditional, okay, you're going to get six and a third innings from Logan Webb. You're going to get six innings from Carlos Rodon. Who are the three hammers you want coming out of that bullpen, right? Your your, uh, your three-headed monster, your nasty boys, or, you know, the uh, your Herreras and, and Wade Davises that the Royals had. You know, you think about a really good bullpen being kind of in that, vain and that's I don't think that's the way the Giants are going to really operate for the most part and we'll see what they do in terms of you know either re-signing or, or probably more likely replacing Rodon in the rotation and just how conventional they may be but yeah I, I don't know it, it really is an interesting thought exercise on how do you prepare a bullpen that's going to be a winning bullpen when when you may deploy it differently than the way we tend to think of a winning bullpen or a really formidable bullpen what it looks like and and I think the answer is probably just bulk just a lot of bulk uh, so I'm sure they'll be busy uh, acquiring that bulk. I will say whether it's Sean Jelly or whether it's someone else or whether it, it's someone else's, there will be someone like Sean Jelly that they will lean on. There will be someone who comes out and gives them bulk innings in relief. And I'm sorry, I don't want to read too much into this, but it just tickles me silly that the Giants might have a really good built-in pair of long relievers, and one of them's name is Sam Long, and the other one is a very, very long human being. So it's so darned literal. You could have Long and Jelly be the long relievers, and they're both long by definition. I love it. I think at one point they actually did option Jelly and call up Sam Long. And so, or no, maybe it was the other way around. They optioned Long and and brought up Jelly. And I think my cheeky little tweet was something like, they sent out Long and got longer. That's good. That's I, I love that stuff. That that harkens back to uh, when the Giants had the uh, uh, comp, uh, what is it? The battery. Man, I just had a no. I had a brain fart with the uh, compensatory draft pick for ah. Mike Stanton, and they didn't draft then known as Mike Stanton with that draft pick. They should have. It would have been funny. It also turns out that he was Giancarlo Stanton, and that would have been better than funny. That would have been really good. But I don't know. I just I I would be horrible at running a baseball team because I would just do things like this to amuse myself. I mean, I, I every time there's someone with an unusual name who's a pitcher or a catcher, I just wait for a cool battery to come around. I mean, that's that's kind of my thing. You could but say black and Steve my, Decker. That's the ultimate one, right? But black <laughs> and Steve Decker, and you know, you could say that that is my jam. So I'm waiting for <laughs> I'm waiting for someone to pair with Jelly. Like, is there a catcher named like 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 uh, I don't know peanut butter or something like that? I, there's got to be something that's going to work with Jelly. Ooh, Jelly. Okay, so Jelly and yeah, I guess it could just be like Ralph Jam or something or. or uh... I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Uh, maybe it would just be uh, a catcher with the initials KY, like Kevin Young, and then you'd have KY Jelly. The Giants have acquired Frank Donut from the Cleveland Guardians. <laughs> catcher, switch hitter. <sighs> I'd, like to, I'd like to enjoy that move, but there's a lot of holes in it. No, <clears throat> no. if it's a jelly donut, it, it doesn't oh, have a true. hole. Oh, oh, oh no holes in that. Okay, okay. I just, oh, boy, we're going to get canceled after this season. Uh, We already are. It's the last week. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. I think the the idea to get 
innings in bulk is a good idea. It was very obvious at going back to 2020, going back to last year, what the Giants were trying to do. They were not getting Alex Wood to be their seven innings and, and you know, seven innings and quality start guy. They were looking to get him for two times through the lineup and then throw a bunch of arms at you. And it worked last year. And they were looking for that uh, to a, a different extent from Alex Cobb, where they're not expecting him to throw 220 innings. They're expecting two times through the order, maybe three if he's rolling, and then throw a bunch of different looks at you. And that plan probably still will work. It's going to need some adjustments with uh, the actual personnel. The idea is still there where you have different looks. You have a guy who is six foot 11. You have a guy who comes down from his shoe tops. You have a left-hander who is throwing in the, the mid-90s with a wipeout breaking ball. You have this, you have that. That's still going to be the template, even if it was an imperfect template going this season. And you know, if you do uh, like the idea of a traditional just really nasty power closer. Well, guess what? The Giants have one of those. And in fact, he was the NL reliever of the month for September for the second year in a row. And um, yeah, Camilo Duvall's emergence, especially with that power two-seamer, which gives him three pitches uh, and is going to make him, you know, one of those pitching ninja guys where the ball goes three different ways. And you're like, how, how, <laughs> how does anyone ever hit a baseball? Well, that that's, that's what he's doing now. And he's throwing it at 102 miles an hour and, and touching 104. So that may be one of the biggest developments of the season. Provided the Giants don't do anything completely foolish, like trade him. But uh, <laughs> although, although maybe they should. I don't know. I yeah. I just we talked about that last week, and I did not open the comments after we talked about it last week. So I'm not sure if people are still yelling at me in there. But I don't know. I could see it. I could see it. I could also see uh, Scott Alexander playing a big role next year because I have fallen in love with his turbo sinker, as they call it on the telecast. He would add into those different kind of looks. That's still going to be the template where it's different looks. And yeah, Duvall fits in any bullpen, but he's also a very different look where you're seeing. Scott Alexander come at you in the eighth inning perhaps with that sinker that he's just peppering all around the zone and then you're seeing Duvall come in with a very very different kind of sinker where he can throw it anywhere and it's going to be hard to hit they do have some really good components and uh, you know they'll have to mix and match around it I think it'll be interesting to see what they do you know with the Harleen Garcia he's a guy who's been durable I and mean, he's been very durable he's a left-hander he's got above average stuff and he's obviously having a terrible season, uh, although it was very, very good for the first uh, two months of the year. He didn't give up a run until you know basically June, but it's it's been a struggle since then. So has he been dealing with anything physically that's been holding him back? Is he still someone that you want as a core piece of next year's bullpen? Uh, I think in some cases the die has been cast. I think Zach Littell is obviously someone that they're going to move on from. You know, Dom Leone, they've already moved on from, Jake McGee as well. But there are still some pieces in there where it's like, hmm, okay, we're going to find out just uh, just what the plan is for, for a couple of these people. Because I, I, Tyler Rogers is definitely in the plans. I think you're right, Scott Alexander is certainly in the plans. We know Duvall is. So maybe they don't have as much work to do. But I think that they are going to have to be really aggressive in just adding as much bulk as they can. And, you know, the other thing is they're a little bit closer to having, you know, some of the, the players in the minor leagues uh, to get to a point where they can help on the big league level. And I think we've looked at like Seth Lonsway's curveball. He's a guy that's in, in low A, but he's got a big, huge curveball. And hey, if Cole Waits can get from, from A ball to the big leagues in one year, then, you know, there, there's a lot of different people in that Giants organization that could be a part of a, a really good functional bullpen next year. I look at the bullpen almost in the same way that I look at the Wilmer Flores contract extension in that there are a lot of pitchers in the bullpen where in isolation, I say, yes, makes sense. John Brebbia, he's had a strong year. Uh, 
uh, he makes sense. You have Harlan Garcia, who's been better more often than not, makes sense. You have uh, Scott Alexander, who is a, a sinker first pitcher, makes sense. You go down this list, but combined as a collective, if you have three, four, five relievers who are striking out maybe seven or eight guys per nine innings, I don't know if that's going to work, especially if it's with a team that has shown that they're willing to punt a little bit of defense to get more offense. I just don't know how many of these guys you can roll with. So if you're starting with Tyler Rogers and you're saying he's definitely on the team, well, that's going to give you some options, uh, but it's it's going to take away a lot of options where if you're going to add a lot of strikeout arms, whether it's Shelby Miller or someone who comes in new, a free agent, a trade, you have to get more strikeout arms, especially if you're punting a little bit of defense. And that's sort of the the puzzle, right? I mean, you want to have different arms that come at you different ways with different stuff, but some of them are going to be more contact oriented just by nature. And so if you're a team that's going to go all in on the strikeouts and and, and the, the sluggos, it is a little bit tougher to see. You have a little bit more of a, a weak point in the armor when you have a Tyler Rogers out there. I mean, we've seen it this year. And the, the problem is that you know, they didn't do enough slugging either. They've hit about uh, 60 fewer homers than they did last year, which, you know, I, I, they've gotten a lot of base runners. They Offensively, they've they've had a good approach, even though it hasn't really been a star-driven a lineup. And we know that they haven't gotten the same production from the Brandons and, and Buster has not been a part of things. It's still been a, a pretty decent offense in terms of, of creating opportunities. They're just not doing damage. You take out 60 homers on a station-to-station team, you're going to have a lot of runners left on base. And that's uh, that's what we've seen this year. I think that's probably the biggest place that they can improve uh, beyond, obviously, replacing Rodon, which they have to do. I just think that they're going to have to bash their way to some more victories next year because I think that's what we saw last year. It goes back to, with all of these, my suggestions, I think, uh, they're great suggestions. Here's what the Giants should do. They should fix their defense. They should fix uh, the station-to-station stuff. They should, station-to-station stuff. Uh, They should uh, hit more home runs. They should get more strikeout arms in the bullpen. Then when you actually go and look for how... I'm a little bit flummoxed with the bullpen. You don't just want to throw money at at free agents. You don't just want to uh, expect David Robertson to be the same effective reliever that he's been this year and give him a bunch of money. You don't necessarily want to sign a defense first center fielder and say, oh, we'll figure out where the offense comes later. It's a real tricky puzzle to navigate, and I don't have a lot of answers other than catch better, pitch better, hit more balls over the fence. Good luck, fellas, and, you know, pat them on the butt metaphorically. When I talked to uh, Giants chairman Greg Johnson and I asked him about, you know, his role on the competition committee a little while ago, that was ostensibly the reason for the phone call or the reason he took my phone call. But of course, I snuck in a couple questions about Farhan and the payroll and et cetera, et cetera, the season. And, you know, one of the things he said is that there is an understanding uh, among ownership that there are years when, you know, you want to, to have a homegrown core come up and you support that core. And that's really what we saw, I think, was the, the genesis of 2010, 12, and 14 with Posey, with Bumgarner, with Linscombe, with Kane, with, you know, the, the Brandons, everybody else. And But there are times when, you know, you're going to have a lull and you're going to have more holes to fill on the roster and you're going to have to spend your way to, to, to fixing those holes. And I think that there is sort of a an understanding among upper management that they are in that position right now and they're going to have to probably spend in ways that are you know maybe a little bit onerous or not exactly ideal to fix some of their holes because you know free agency is by and large especially at the top of the market an irrational marketplace 
So, you know, whether that means that that uh, Farhan dumps his idea that you never give a starting pitcher more than three years and they bring back Rodon, or, you know, whether they decide to, you know, go all, go all in on a, a, a DeGrom, which seems to make more sense for them, or whether they, you know, really do make the move for Aaron Judge, uh, which, you know, they could put their best foot forward and, and throw as much money at him as they want. And maybe it won't matter if he does go back to New York. But I just think that they do recognize that it's incumbent upon them to spend their way out of some of their problems this offseason. And they don't have a million choices, but they're going to have some choices. Let me read uh, one of these hot rumors to you. Uh, This says that uh, there maybe were some talking points from recent ownership level meetings with Farhan Zaidi that might have slipped. Quote, obviously, they've talked about Aaron Judge. They've talked about Trey Turner. That's coming straight from Evan Longoria, reported by Andrew Baggerly. This is a huge story. Talk about it. Oh, yes. It's so huge that he said it in front of me and three other reporters. So, um, But yeah, you know, he, he said that and I'm like, hmm, you know, is he just sort of like assuming or does he actually know? I think he actually does know because he was one of the few people who knew that Buster was buying into the ownership group. I think that he's been around a long time. He's pretty connected. And I think he does have a little bit of a clue uh, as to, you know, what, what the team is going to do and, and what the sort of the the temperature of the front office is and the direction of the team. But I have to say, he did himself no favors through that conversation with us uh, the other day in San Diego because he basically said, I hope they pick up my $13 million option. No one will say no to $13 million. But basically, here's why they won't. <laughs> and then he, he proceeded to say, I'm not getting $13 million on the open market. My buyout's $5 million, so it's essentially $8. I'm not getting $8 million on the open market. And then later, he said he said that you know if they did turn down the option, he would still be open to talking with them, which basically means, yeah, you, you can pay me less, and I'll come back. That's fine. Maybe he knows. Maybe he already knows the option's not going to be picked up, and he wants to keep uh, the avenues clear for him to, to come back if, if the Giants do want it. But he's gone as far as to say he's gone shopping in the East Bay for a house you know, uh, in, in case it does work out. So just all the tea leaves tell me that Longoria is going to come back on a compromise contract uh, next year. And, and I know that maybe there's some of you listening are like, no, you can't run it back with the same people over and over again. But they need a little bit of a bridge to Casey Schmidt. I don't think you want to throw David VR in there and say, you're our everyday first baseman. Enjoy eating those sliders all season. I mean, he's hitting, you know, 210. He's, the power is really, I think, impressive. And I think you have to pay some respect to it. And he's deserved the look he's gotten. And and I think he will get a lot of meaningful at-bats for this team next year. But he also has options. And you want a guy to, to hit their way to the major leagues and hit their way into staying in the major leagues as opposed to, you know, throwing them out there without much of a safety net. And so I, I just think Longoria makes a lot of sense for this team next year as a guy who you probably don't expect to play in, you know, maybe more than 80 games. And uh, and also as a bat off the bench, he's one of few guys that I think you could send up there and feel really good about him as a pinch hitter. And then you put him in for defense and you're probably getting an upgrade uh, at third base over whoever they have, uh, at least until Casey Schmidt's up here. So I, I kind of think he makes a lot of sense. And, and I think that there's I'm not the only person who feels that way. I will start with by reciting some truisms. Truism one, I don't necessarily think J.D. Davis should be playing any more third base than he has to or any third base at all. He's not he's not a monster out there, but I just that's something you want to avoid if possible. Uh, truism two, same thing with Wilmer Flores to a lesser extent. He's mostly fine there, but he's more of an in-the-pinch sort of, sort of guy where you want him at first base more often than not. If he's in the field, you want him coming off the bench. You 
want him as a DH. Maybe you have to fit him in at third or short or second base, but for the most part, you don't want him there. Uh, Truism three, David VR, I think has a lot of potential. I do not want to see him as the everyday unquestioned go get him third baseman entering next year. I think there's uh, room to play with him uh, there and room to to let him grow into the position, almost like they did with Richard Aurelia in 1997 and 1998, where they had a buffer for him and then they enjoyed it when he got better going forward after that. So all these things being true, and I also thank Casey Schmidt for as good of a prospect as he is. His strikeout rate to me says he's not going to be an instant success in the major leagues, at least as a hitter. Defensively, maybe, but he still has, he's, he's got a lot of swing and miss in his bat, and I don't think that's going to translate to instant success, unstoppable success where you're glad that you gave him the job right away. So all of these things being true, yeah, Longoria makes a ton of sense because he's not expecting 500 at-bats. He's expecting to be shepherding in someone like VR, and he's not going to grumble about playing time going one way or the other. It makes sense, and I don't know if it's if there's too much familiarity there for the fans to really get behind, but it makes sense. They like what he they like his presence in the clubhouse. They like what he can do on the field when he's healthy. Makes sense. Yeah, and you know, it's it's not like this is unusual to have someone that you could see one day as an everyday position player, you know, move around a little bit and kind of, you know, go up and down and 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 not get that chance right away. I mean, it's it's really rare to have a Julio Rodriguez as where basically you are our opening day center fielder and now you're going to be a, a 2020 guy and win the rookie of the year. I mean, it, it's more like you introduce people slowly. I mean, even I'm 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 looking at Jeff Kent right here and he was, you know, a 24 year old and he's playing a little second base, a little third base, a little first base for Toronto, and then he gets a little more role time with the Mets, but again, as someone who played all around the infield, he was kind of their Wilmer Flores almost a little bit. And then eventually, obviously, he became an everyday second baseman and and a league MVP. But I think when you have a player that you're not quite sure uh, if they're going to be an everyday big leaguer, well, you're using that time earlier in their career to try to enhance their value and their versatility by playing them at multiple positions. And so I think that's going to be a big focus for VR. And he's someone who I think probably does not grade out as an average defender right now. And uh, and there's no reason he, he can't be. Uh, so um, there's going to be a lot of work, I think, there at, at multiple positions. And you know, ultimately, it's going to be if his bat plays, that you'll find a place for him. All right. This has been episode 218. And... Next episode, I think, is going to be our last one of the regular season. I think we'll do emergency pods when the Giants sign Aaron Judge. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, I think it, everything's going to be left on the table next uh, Thursday, where we're going to, or this Thursday, I should say, uh, we're going to talk about how the, how the Giants can get back to 107 wins. Do you have your bullet points ready? Um, I'm, I'm in work in progress. Yeah, working. <laughs> All right, we will be back on Thursday, and we will talk about uh, the end of the season and looking forward into the offseason. We will see you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs>